Today's reading is from Mark, chapter 1, verses 32 to 39. That evening, after sunset, the people brought, Jesus, brought to Jesus all who were ill and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so that I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Thank you very much. Great. Well, nice to see you all. Let's pray that God would speak to us from his word. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the scriptures. And as we look at them today and as we seek your face, we cry out to you that you would speak into our lives. Not that you need our permission, but we give you permission to change us. We say we want to be close to you. So open our ears and our hearts to you by your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The morning sermon series is taking us on a journey through Mark's gospel. And each week we're looking at a discovery that potentially changes our lives for good. I've decided that I'm not going to play this sermon like an Agatha Christie in which you only, decide, only discover who's done it in the last five minutes. I'm going to tell you right up front who did it and what they did, and then describe to you how we too can do it. And the discovery is this, that for Jesus, prayer was absolutely a vital part of his everyday life. It changed his life for good. Now, every preacher that stands in front of a congregation and talks about prayer feels a little bit insecure because they know about their own prayer life. And surely none of us, absolutely none of us, is going to put up our hand and say, I'm really proud of my prayer life. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a great preacher, said everything in the Christian life is easier than prayer. So I know, I know that our topic is challenging for all of us, me included. It's also challenging for a completely different reason, which is I feel challenged by thinking, will anything I say this morning actually change your prayer life? Because probably you've sat through so many sermons on prayer and it, do, it does remind me of a story, which has to be an apocryphal story, as you'll quickly discover, of the preacher and the bus driver who arrived at the pearly gates on the same day. 
And much to the preacher's annoyance, the angel or whoever it was that was greeting them showed the bus driver straight in to heaven and sent the preacher to the back of an extremely long queue to which he was quickly chuntering around saying that's really not fair that's really not fair look what I've done look what he's done and another angel came alongside and said yes I can hear your chuntering but you see the thing is this while he drove his bus they prayed while you preached they slept and and there is a certain way in which I, I know that a talk on prayer requires us to want to learn how to pray and to want to do it and I'm hoping praying even that this talk will do that for us that we will see what a essential part it was of Jesus's life enough for us to think I ought to give it a shot myself some of you are very very fortunate and you have grown up surrounded by prayer you grew up in a house where your parents prayed the whole idea of praying is completely came with your mother's milk almost but some of us didn't inherit that and I'm one of those who didn't my parents as far as I know never prayed I had absolutely no template of prayer at all no inheritance of prayer Uh, it's a foreign country to start with Sometimes I've met people and it's so obvious that prayer is part of their life. I remember writing to a friend's father who was a Christian and and he said, Rupert, I'll take it to the Lord in prayer. I'd never even heard of someone doing such a thing. Or I think of having some friends to stay when Liz and I were living in southwest of England and our children were about age five and six. And um, these friends were actually well retired and they were visiting from abroad and I remember as we all went our different ways to bed I said to them look in the morning you'll hear a hullabaloo because it'll be us getting the children up getting them to have breakfast and taking you off to school but they're not your children they're not your responsibility you stay in bed you do whatever you want and I'll catch up with you sometime later in the morning and sure enough in the morning we did we got up very early sorted the children out drove them to school and I went to work in my office And about 11 o'clock, I suddenly remembered, oh gosh, we've got that couple staying in the vicarage, haven't we? I'd completely forgotten. And so I I walked back to the vicarage and I opened the front door with a kind of cheery, hello, and and went into the kitchen with a similarly cheery, hello. And as I opened the door, I suddenly saw, there they were, sat either side of the kitchen table, and in front of them were these lists, and they were praying together. And they were just doing what they habitually did every day, evidently, interceding and praying for other people. And and I quickly closed the door and beat a hasty retreat. But in that sort of whatever it was, less than a minute, I had a window into a a pattern of behavior just completely foreign to me. Not only are some of us not born knowing how to pray, we don't even know what prayer is. I think before I was a Christian, I I know, I used to challenge people who call themselves Christians and say, what you call prayer, I just call fronting up to your problems. And, you know, if I went to bed at night and I wrote down on a piece of paper all the things that were concerning me, I think 90% of those would have disappeared by the morning. That's no different from your prayer. Well, I was absolutely wrong. Christian prayer isn't that. 
Christian prayer isn't having a mindfulness moment. Christian prayer is not akin to yoga or repetitive meditation or tuning into something unknown. No, no, it isn't. Christian prayer, as Jesus understood it and taught it, and as scriptures know it, is having an encounter with the living God, spending time in his presence deliberately. And the moment I say that, it is enormous to think of such a thing. I mean, it's a bit, to bring it down to earth, it's a bit like if I said to you, if we go into the back room there, God is sitting there and he's waiting to give you an audience. And I think you and I would say to ourselves, well, hang on a minute, is that really right? And if it is right, what do I need to do to get right with him? Because it's a bit like being called to the headmaster. If you get called to the headmaster, you instinctively feel nervous and guilty. Well, if the living God who knows all about you and can see in you and through you says, come and sit with me and we'll have a chat, that would be enormous, wouldn't it? And it is enormous. In fact, as I was praying through this talk this morning, a thought, a memory came into my head. I haven't had for years. I didn't even know it was there. Of when I was at the very first school that I ever went to. And I seem to remember that the headmaster had on his study door a traffic light system and if it was red you didn't go in there at any price and if it was amber I think it probably meant you could knock and if it was green you could just go on in and I suppose for however young we were five or six year olds that colours spoke quicker than words well it's like God would say to us I I never have a red light in front of you I, I never ever will shut you out I've done everything that's necessary for you to spend time in my company. I don't expect you to know this, but on August the 7th, 1993, something quite significant happened just down the road. I had to Google it to find out actually what the date was. But what happened on August the 7th, 1993, is for the very first time, Buckingham Palace opened its doors to anyone who wanted to go in who had enough dosh. And and it's like something significant changed. It became open to go into the king's residence for at least a period of time, because they shut it during now, I think. Well, something much more significant than that happened around AD 30 on a mound just outside Jerusalem in a place called Golgotha. Whereas Jesus died on the cross, Mark records in his gospel that this huge curtain in the temple was ripped not as man would rip it from the bottom to the top, but as God would rip it from the top to the bottom. And that was symbolizing that the way was now clear to come close to God himself. The key word here is access. And it's stressed for us, Paul writing to the Ephesians says, Jesus came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. And through him we both have access to the Father. John writes, similarly, we have confidence in approaching God, says John. So what I'm setting up before us, right from the word go, is as far as God's concerned, he wants us to come as close as we possibly can. There is no blockage in, from his side to access. Now we can learn quite a bit about prayer from this little passage that we've had read before us. 
as I've already hinted, it shows us, and it certainly showed the disciples, probably for the first time, that prayer was absolutely woven into Jesus' life. It wasn't something he included in his life, it was a way of life. I'm almost ashamed to say that if you spent 24 hours with Rupert, with me, uh, you would quickly discover that coffee is a way of life. It, it starts very early in the morning and it reappears many times during the day. And even the superficial acquaintance with me would give you that insight. Even the superficial acquaintance with Jesus would leave us with the impression prayer is absolutely essential to this guy in his life. And you can tell that even here because it says very early in the morning he got, off, got up and went off to pray, verse 35. And reading a, an account of the life of Jesus, he just keeps praying. Near the end of his life, just before being arrested, we, we're told he went out as usual to the garden of Gethsemane. What was he going to do there? He was going to pray. It was already built into his life. On the cross, what does Jesus do? He prays in front of Lazarus's tomb. What does Jesus do? He prays. When children come running to him, what does he do? He prays. It was just built into his way of doing life. So much so that the disciples at one point, one imagines them taking him aside because he actually, they say, teach us to pray. We see you're doing it, but we need you to teach us. And what did Jesus say? He, well, he even told them a parable that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. So my very first point to help us is whether you think your prayer life is stellar and couldn't be better, or if you think your prayer life is in the pits and couldn't be worse, never give up. Never give up. And the reason I say that is over the course of a lifetime, most of us are going to find, realistically, you will go through chapters, seasons, where prayer is stellar, hopefully, and it seems like the easiest thing to do in the world and God is answering your prayers. And you will also go through times when prayer is like the pits, the hardest thing possible. You just cannot imagine it's making any difference to anyone and you feel almost a fraud trying. And that is usual over the course of a lifetime. And it's important to keep going. On my bookshelf, I have quite a few books on prayer and two I keep absolutely close together on purpose because they highlight both these dimensions. One of them is incredibly confident about prayer and the title gives it away. It's called The Power of Prayer and the Prayer of Power and it's by a guy called Torrey. And it gives you the impression that all you've got to do is sit still for a second and babble something and heaven will open and miracles will happen and goodness knows, you'll be thrilled to bits. And I'm not actually cynical about that because I think there are seasons like that and it's wonderful and to be enjoyed and not to be rubbished. But equally, the book next to it reflects a reality as well by a man called Henry Nouwen called The Long Road to Daybreak. And I'll read you what he says just in case it resonates with you. Why should I spend an hour in prayer when I do nothing during that time but think about all sorts of silly things? And they grab my attention and my mind. And the answer is because 
What is really happening in the house of prayer isn't measurable in terms of human success and failure. What I must do first of all is be faithful. And the remarkable thing is that sitting in the presence of God each morning, day after day, week after week, month after month, sometimes in total confusion and with myriads of distractions, radically changes my life. God, who loves me so much that he sent his only son not to condemn me but to save me, doesn't leave me waiting in the dark too long. I might think these times are useless, but after 30 or 60 or 90 such useless times, I gradually realized I was not alone as I thought. A very small, gentle voice has been speaking to me far beyond the noisy place. So be confident and trust in the Lord. When you look at the Psalms, the collection of prayers, actually they reflect what I've been saying. A good number of Psalms are outright praise songs, full of confidence and joy. Taste and see that the Lord is good, that kind of thing. Rejoicing in God's presence. But quite a few Psalms are not like that. They're laments. They express disappointment with God, disappointment and confusion from the heart. Quite a few contain requests. Some are just downright bleak, desperate cries from a broken heart. How long will you forget me? Forever? But they're all communication. They all signify these people have not given up communing with God. And so that's my big, big request for us. Don't give up. Keep sticking at it. Don't think also that it's something you can delegate to someone else. I, I like the story of an Australian bishop who was visiting his country and he caught a taxi from one place to the other. And uh, when he got out, he, he must be wearing his bishop's kit because when, when he got out and paid the fare, as he walked away from the taxi, the taximan said to him, say one for me, governor. To which the Aussie bishop said, say one yourself, meaning, there's no more power in me saying a prayer for you than you saying one yourself. Don't be so lazy. Do it yourself. And I can't really take your place in God's presence. Of course I'll pray for you, and of course I'll back you up in prayer. But we ourselves need to spend time talking with God, don't we? And if we don't, isn't it pretty obvious that relationships are going to fall apart? Can you think of any human relationship you have which flourishes when you're not on speaking terms? Of, of course it doesn't. And it's no different with God. Second thing I see from this passage, as well as the fact that Jesus got up early to pray and made it a habit, is it's instructive to note that he made sure he prayed when everything was going well. In fact, super well. When things are going really well in your life, make sure you pray because you'll be vulnerable. Here, the occasion we're looking at this morning, it was a time when there were multiple healings going on. There were a time when demons were being thrown out. There are times when Jesus' popularity is huge. So much so the disciples set off to track him down. That's literally what Mark says. They track him down. And, and they say to him, words to the effect of, you're missing a trick here. Your share price is really high. People are coming together. They've got the multitudes out. They want you to heal. They're ready to listen. What on earth are you doing hidden away in the undergrowth? You, you ought to be where the action is. 
But Jesus says no, no. What we can learn here is at least a couple of things. Power didn't go to Jesus' head because it drove him to his knees. When things are going well, make sure that you humble yourself before God. There is a horrible tendency that when you get competent in any one area, even in your spiritual life, you'll start to think, well, you'll discover your own competence and you'll feel less of a need to pray. But you must keep praying because that is what connects you with the source of everything that's valuable. And Jesus is almost taking to heart his own words. He'll say later, woe to you when everyone speaks well of you. It's a cryptic warning. And he, he won't fall out with God on this one. Power doesn't go to his head, it drives him to his knees. What was he praying about that morning? I don't really know. But I can take an informed guess. Because it seems most likely that he was praying to God for guidance. What to do next, where to go next. A greater sense of purpose. This is one of those curious occasions where good would have been the enemy of the best because Simon Peter wasn't wrong if he'd gone back to where he'd healed those people he wouldn't have been doing bad stuff but it just wasn't what God the Father wanted him to be doing and he says Jesus' response makes it really clear he says let's go somewhere else to nearby villages so I can preach there too that's why I've come and so he travels throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. You know, if Jesus had to check his bearings with God the Father, surely we do too. Jesus knew that his mission was to seek and save the lost. He knew that his mission was to untie the devil's work. That's what it says in 1 John chapter 3. We have been commissioned by Jesus and the mission he's given us is to make disciples who will make disciples who will make disciples and to some extent it's very easy for us to stop because I think it's a bit like swimming out of your depth you can do it for a while but after a while it's very exhausting and it, it, it sort of becomes preferable just to put your foot down on the bottom and take control and settle down but we can't do that unless we abandon God's mission to us. His mission to us at St. Michael's is still to reach out and make disciples who will make disciples who will make disciples. And we can't do that in our own strength. And it leads us back to prayer again. And just the same way as you know, Jesus could have downed tools and just enjoyed a success in Capernaum where he's come from. But we can't stop and say, well, look, we're not failing as a church we've still got some quite decent congregations and you know we, we, we can see God at work we have to look out and see the harvest fields that there are still people out there who know nothing about Jesus Christ we have to know that there are people that we connect with during the week who will listen to us and be impacted by us because we know Jesus and God is actually calling us to share our faith with them and the only way we're going to have the energy, the strength, the resources to do this is to seek God out in private, in prayer. We need to pray, I think, for persistence and faithfulness, don't we? And for fruitfulness and discernment. 
And you know, <laughs> I can tell, you know and I know this is jolly hard work. And one of the reasons it's jolly hard work is it's spiritual warfare. The weapons we fight with, said Paul, are, are not carnal. They're not worldly. The weapons we have have divine power for the pulling down of strongholds. And that is prayer. And when the kingdom advances, it's like something is going on in the heavenly places. When we have our guest supper on Wednesday, something is going on in the heavenly places. People are going to come into this building and they're going to meet you and they're going to have conversations and they're going to go home and they're going to say to their friends, gosh, I met some pretty lovely people, some pretty sensible people, and you know what? They're Christians. And that blows my mind for a start because I thought all Christians were, A, nearly extinct and, and not people you could enjoy an evening with. And they may well go home and say, I, I want to do an alpha course. I want to discover more. But none of this will be accomplished in our own strength. It's all going to take some prayer. Someone said to me a long time ago, when it comes to evangelism, you get as many opportunities as you pray for. And I think there's a lot in that. When you start praying for opportunities, I don't know if it's that you become more aware of the opportunities that were always there, or whether it's that God actually makes more opportunities, or probably a combination of the two. But when we start praying for opportunities, things certainly do happen. Well, in finishing, because I, I must finish this, some very quick pointers as to how to restart a prayer life, how to reinvigorate. Very, very, very quick. Have a fixed time and a fixed place. Clearly, Jesus did. He got up very early, that was his time, and he went to a certain place, that was his place. In the last 40 years, I've made it my habit, wherever I've lived, to designate a certain place, normally a certain chair, will be my place of prayer, and a certain time, and that's very early in the morning. And I know that on the days where I make it to that chair on time, the chances of me actually praying are infinitely more than the days I don't make it. Now, for you, it might be different. It might be you designate your walk from home to the tube or on the bus or something else as your prayer time. But if you have a certain time and a certain place designated, you have a much higher chance of actually praying. And if it can be a private space, somewhere where no one's going to disturb you, so much the better. That's what Jesus said in his day, and it's true in our day. Second bit of advice is try and be honest with God. Try and really share your heart with him. Some, someone put to me quite a long time ago that they opened a journal and they just jotted down on the right-hand side their prayer requests and they reviewed yesterday and they always began with the word yesterday. Yesterday I, and they gave God a chance to search their hearts. And on the other side of their journal, they wrote, and this is what I felt. And many of us find it difficult connecting with our feelings, but part of sharing yourself with God and letting him move in your life is to actually force yourself to think what you felt and let him have that too. Set a timer for how long you're going to pray, not to limit you, but to make sure you don't shortchange God. Because you might say, oh, I'm going to pray for 10 minutes this morning, but actually many of us have experienced that sometimes one minute seems like 10 when you're praying. And so if you set a timer that will bleep at you at the end of whatever time you designate, you know then that you won't have shortchanged God. And as I said earlier, just being there, a commitment to being there, is half the battle. 
I think lastly I want to say it will really, really help you if you can pray with other people. I think that's taught me more about prayer than any number of books, frankly. And so I am really pleased to tell you that as from next week, our two church wardens, Ruth and David, are going to be starting a, a prayer meeting in what we call the green room, just tucked around the corner on Sunday mornings. It's going to be from 10.30 until, I guess, just before this service starts, about 5 to 11. An opportunity specifically to pray for the ministry of St. Michael's in particular. And I'm thrilled that they want to do this, and I just commend it to you because it's a wonderful way, apart from anything else, it's a wonderful way of learning how to pray. I need to stop, so I will. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we have to notice when we walk alongside you in the scriptures that you spent a lot of time in prayer, talking to the Father, that you're confident in his presence. You call him Abba, Father. And you invite us as your children to do the same thing. And we repent, Lord. We say sorry for the times where we have just left this off our lifestyle and it somehow slipped. And we want to ask you to reawaken in us a, a desire to be close to you. We, we pray, Lord, that we would find a time and a place to be still, to share our hearts with you. But more importantly, we really want you to share your heart with us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying to give us access to the Father. And we pray that we wouldn't squander this gift, but learn to love it and appreciate it. In Jesus' name.